Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to the 289th episode, technically I suppose, of No Encore. It's a music podcast. We're back and we don't have a Craig this week. I'm afraid Craig Fitzpatrick has absconded. He's taken a week off. He does it every now and then. He's taken this whole Kanye West not releasing an album business very seriously and as such just couldn't face the music, couldn't face the microphone. But thankfully there was someone who could. She's making her grand return to the show. It's been a couple of months. Her name is Zara Elizabeth Hederman. Ooh, thank you. Little name and all. Um, I liked how on your Zoom window, for some reason, you come up as David William Hanratty. Okay. It actually says it actually says David William David. I think I'll, I'll have you know. Sorry, sorry, Jesus. Sorry. Fallen at the first hurdle already. That's not a good sign. Don't worry about it. It's all good. You know, you bring a ramshackle energy to the show, which we appreciate. I'm sure people appreciate you from other places, such as, Jesus, like the list is, is, is as long as my arm at this stage. You're a contributor to RTE Arena, Loud and Quiet magazine, The Quietest, Totally Dublin, this very podcast, of course. You've popped up in the Business Post, The Irish Times, Head Stuff, lots of other places too. How do you find the time, Zara Hedeman? That's what I want to know. I don't know, David, to be honest with you. Um, I am getting a lot more grey hairs. Um, I'm starting to look older, I think. But I'm not getting any wiser, unfortunately. Nah, nah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not having it. This is all This is all nonsense. <laughs> not true. Trust me. I've got a ray of light on the Zoom screen in front of me. Adam Shanahan is there as well, of course. Another ray of light. It's all good. So listen, uh, it's a music podcast. Um, thank you for listening. Do appreciate it. Any new listeners, we do a top five. We do an album review. We do a roundup of news. That's all happening on this episode. We'll be doing the new album from The Killers. We'll be reviewing that later in the show. It's called Pressure Machine. And the pressure is on when it comes to our top five, top five songs about home. 
And what that means, Zara is already having a fit of the giggles. This is going to be a good one, I feel. <laughs> so yeah, um, it's a fit of the giggles because I am so excited to well, kind of talk about the New Killers album. I'm not really excited to talk about the New Killers album. I'm just excited to talk about the Killers because I've really enjoyed this week. Just like getting full on back into like 14 year old Zara mode of just living my best life, rocking out to um, Hot Fuss, Sam's Town. But look, we'll save that all for a couple of minutes time. Um, so yeah, no, I'm very excited for this. Very excited for my top five, well, for the top five. Um, but yeah, I'm particularly excited to share with you my picks because I think you'll be um, surprised by maybe something. All right, that's a good teaser. I'm very excited to share something with everybody, with the listeners, next week on the show. We haven't done an interview episode for a while, so I decided to head into town this week and chat to the incredible, the brilliant Orla Gartland, who has actually just released her debut album. It's called Woman on the Internet. It's out today, as of this podcast dropping. It's an excellent work. Orla has previously been on the show before. We're big fans of her. She's a cool person. It was an absolute delight to get to chat to her, and I want to thank her for taking the time. She's very busy, and uh, that episode's going to come out next week, hopefully Wednesday. And if you want to have a listen as to what that sounds like, here is a previously prepared audio clip. Enjoy. I think, it's funny, I think as an artist, you are unsigned by default until you're, like, unsigned by choice. In other words, until you get a deal put in front of you, you are just unsigned by default. And it really wasn't until, like two years ago that I actually saw any contract with my name on it and I was uh I was just shocked at how bad it was I was shocked at uh how non-artist friendly it was and I'd been quite naive about how the whole thing worked I was like calling friends at signed record deals a couple of years before being like wait so this is how recruitment works and they were like yeah I was like oh my god that's like so unfair and I was like what like they can spend money they can spend your money without kind of running it past you and they're like yeah so I think I was like beautifully naive about the whole thing um but yeah see having the option of flirting with that idea didn't didn't tempt me I mean it it did for a minute I think the idea of like someone else taking the financial risk is tempting sometimes when I'm paying for a big music video or something scary like that but um ultimately I it, it comes down to control, I think, creatively. And I would really struggle to do things on like someone else's terms, I think. That's the fiercely independent and utterly fantastic Orla Gartland. She will be in conversation on No Encore next week, midweek, and I'm very much looking forward to sharing that episode. As for the show itself, of course, you can always support us if you like what we do, whether it's interview episodes or the regular show or No Popcorn. We have a new one of those in the editing bay at the moment. Adam's brand new uh, spinoff before the Encore will be coming back at the end of the month as well. It is all go, all the time, and it's patreon.com slash noencore if you want to help support what we do. Five or a month helps us out massively and in return you get episode previews you get bonus episodes like no ox cord which comes out once a month you get playlists and you know our undying gratitude which is a great thing to have i would hope so with all that said and that was a lot we are busy but are we as busy as the news section adam hit that sting You heard about the good news? So listen, I'd like to preface this new section by saying that, yes, I think at this stage you could probably accuse No Encore of running this joke into the ground. It will go away, but he just won't stop doing interviews. So Adam, if I could ask you to press one more button, please. Melvin Ben. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <Be dead>. It's... <laughs> 
It's time to talk about Festival Republic CEO Melvin Benn for what has to be like the 12th week in a row. He's done another interview, of course. This is about the latest Electric Picnic news, which is that it is still not happening. But Melvin Benn spoke to Brian Dobson on Ortiz News at 1 during the week, it was on Wednesday, hit out at the government's lack of leadership and, you know, remained a defiant figure. As a matter of fact, I should note that this interview actually ended in quite incredible style. Brian Dobson said, have you given up on Electric Picnic this year? And Melvin Benn, in response, said, I never give up, which was just absolutely amazing, like, stead- to, steadfast defiance. to applaud his kind of confidence and tenacity and self-belief. Um, I just can't believe uh, that this is still an ongoing thing, although I am so happy to hear Sting again. Um, it's always a pleasure to hear. Yeah, I think that someone needs to just tell uh, Big Ben to just take a week off. Um, even just like down, while I understand there is frustration um, about Electric Picnic, it is, you know, obviously there's a lot of people that's going to be employed by it. People want answers. It's co- it's literally just around the corner, isn't it? Sure, we're halfway through August. Um I think that him saying things like, you know, you could win a gold medal for the speed at which Ireland has been rolling out vaccines. And then also him saying, I tried to think of a parallel and the only parallel that I can... Whoa, 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 whoa. hang on, hang on. I, I have to stop you there, Zara, because I think ultimately... I think we need to hear this from the horse's mouth. I think we need to hear what Melvin had to say. So I prepared some clipped audio. Oh, what a surprise. Don't mean to step all over you there, Anthony, but I just think that he has he has a certain kind of way of saying it. So, like I say, we talk about defiance. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Melvin Benn. It is time to set the records straight. My road to WrestleMania starts right now. Everybody here, everybody watching, I won't be stopped. I can't be stopped. Oh, hang on, sorry, no, that wasn't Melvin Ben at all. That was hulking WWE superhero and 16-time world champion John Cena. Actually, instead, here is Melvin Ben with an incredible, as Zara says, an absolutely amazing parallel, the only one he could think of. Let's hear it. You know, the level of vaccination in Ireland is just, you know, incredibly high. As I said before, you know, you'd win the, the you know, the, the, the gold medal for the speed at which it started to roll out. And I'm... I'm angry because it's wrong. It sort of feels almost... I've, I've tried to think of a parallel, and it, the only parallel I can think of is, is feeling like Shea, Shea Given did in 2009 when Thierry Henry handballed that ball, and everybody knew that it was wrong, and yet the ref ignored it. And somehow, as far as I'm concerned, everybody knows this is wrong. Nefer have created a, a culture of fear, and there's no political leadership that's challenging that or moving it on. It, it's, it, it's not about... Leash County Council, the whole culture of fear uh, is wrong. We've been doing test events, you know, in the UK. All the results are available. What we were talking about at the Electric Picnic was fully vaccinated people at the test mm. event where nothing was being uh, recorded as, as significant spikes. They w- we were just doing lateral flow tests. What we were offering at the picnic was significantly more than that. And yet, Still, nobody responding at all. I mean, it's an appalling situation. Does that or does a does a does an everyman parallel like that one win you over to his side? Not really. No. Uh, well, usually it would, but I think when it has just gone on this long and it has just been 
so up in the air, so mismanaged. And, you know, it's not good to see these two big organizations kind of at loggerheads with each other, but they don't really have seem to have any kind of firm um argument on either side really um obviously my heart goes out to people who are being employed by electric picnic and artists who have to come over obviously electric picnic as well is like such a huge platform for up-and-coming bands um and for people just um festival goers to just enjoy live music to enjoy having a few drinks with friends and enjoying music um how they haven't come to a resolution with this at this point is just mind-boggling to me and you know as he said we are rolling out the vaccinations that's great we haven't done any kind of testing with any of the pilot gigs that's bad and what was the point of those pilot gigs so I can see Melvin Ben's frustration I don't think he articulates it very well I don't think he handles the situation very well I think he's turning the whole thing into more of a fiasco than it needs to be and obviously the government do just kind of need to cop the fuck on and get some kind of uh, guideline or outline together that can make this happen if they have to drastically reduce numbers of who can attend it I mean I don't know I'm not an immunologist I'm not a, an expert in anything and um, so I don't really know what is a kind of a fair 50-50 agreement to come to it but I just can't I can't see it happening can't see it really going forward I can imagine the reading in the years episode and five years time ten years time about this and um, hopefully you'll be able to license out your sting and you know get get some wonga from that would that be allowed we'll have to we'll have to consult with Mr New Music Friday Adam Shanahan and see what he thinks it is his sting um, yeah look listen where are you repeating ourselves but like as much as Melvin Ben has been but I will say like it is a current conversation it is an ongoing thing I mean this week alone there's conversations about the government's upcoming roadmap which is due to arrive on the 31st of August we don't know what level of attention the arts community will receive. Um, I know that there was some subcommittee meetings this week about the arts industry, and it would appear that some big names who should have been there from the government weren't there, which is not a great sign. I will say, if you want more on this subject, like on a kind of a detail level, the new episode of the Not A Nine podcast is well worth checking out. It's devoted to this subject this week. So we'll move on for now. Uh, like I say, Craig is not here this week, but I think he's here in spirit. I think I can hear him. I think, I think he has an update about an, a certain album. Uh, is there a satellite link afoot there? Can you hear him? Donda, baby, it's happening. It's Craig! Wow, as he lives and breathes. Um, essentially, yes, we've been waiting weeks now to review Donda, the new record from Kanye West, but it hasn't happened yet. The latest is that he's announced yet another listing party type situation um, in a stadium. So the reason I bring this up, again, wary of repetition, is that I there's a terrifying implication this week. There's a terrifying implication that Craig may have made a correct prediction. Uh, and Craig, previously, I should know for people who don't know, Craig, Craig said Brexit wouldn't happen. He said Donald Trump wouldn't be elected. Yeah. Um, I'm sure he said lots of other things too. And it's just like so. The, yeah, the, 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 the John Misty is good. So there's this running gag where it's just like yeah. yeah. yeah so uh, like we love Craig, but we don't want him to be right on massive world issues because it could spell the end of the world itself. But there's a theory doing the rounds this week on where else Reddit, and it's about Donda. And I'm going to read a snippet of it now. There's been many unofficial or unofficial official albums by other artists, which consist of leaks and projects 
that surfaced and whatnot. Some that have rematerialized themselves into being official or at least semi-official. But Ye's concept with Donda is an album that has materialized itself into existence without being officially released. The songs have been premiered, they play on radio, Billboard say that the album is out. He wants people to review it, Pitchfork, Billboard. He wants everyone to pretend and act like it's out, but in reality, it cannot be purchased, it cannot be streamed. It can only be accessed from listening events and rips from said events. He might tour it and do tracks from it, everyone will know the words, and the songs will be very real. The album will be very real in that it's his 10th album, has a track list, has all the compositions of a real album, except it cannot be streamed or purchased. That's why all the Billboard say that it's out. This is why Apple sent notifications about the release. This is why Jay Electronica said it's out. The album is out. We already got it. Think about the black cover and what it signifies. The mask over Yay. It's an album you can't see. It doesn't seem real, but the music exists. The experience exists, and it will be talked about for generations to come. Donda out now. So the theory is that Kanye West is released, has made the first official unreleased album, which I think would actually mean that Craig... And his refrain of Donda out now it's happening means Craig has been right all along. I'm not I, 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 I feel a chill going down my spine, Zara. I have to say, I when you sent me that thread the other night uh, and I read it and it didn't really fully sink in and then I read it again today and I was like, that's actually quite cool if that is the... Uh, the whole premise and Kanye's thinking behind it and his motivation behind it especially when it comes to like not giving Sony any money the whole streaming aspect of it I do actually think that that is pretty cool um I think it's pretty frustrating though um I would like to have some means of listening to Donda and I haven't watched any of the live streams yet I haven't listened to any of the rips um so in that way, like I do want to listen to it. I don't know if I will listen to it in that kind of manner. Um, what did you make of it as a a thread and a concept? I think as Reddit conspiracy theories go, it's quite a good one. I, I think, do. yeah, and I th- I hope it isn't the case, but also at the same time, I'd be like, oh, Kanye, you conceptual yeah. genius, you. Like, it would be just like, he's done, yeah, he's done something new. Exactly. Nothing new is happening. Yeah. I mean, would you take this happening and like, you know, like, uh, if, if the end result is a mediocre record, well, then maybe this is the best statement to make. But then, I don't know, I'm fed up by it. I really am. Like, even like you sent me last night, like a link to the next, you know, it's happening in Soldier Field or whatever and I, I think I wrote back to you and I just said no because <laughs> I was just like can you not please I was just I'm just I, I'm, I'm just not here for it I, I just want the album but look we'll move on we'll move on to an album that's out right now Lord 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 oh Lord uh, her album's out and we know where I stand on Lord I'm hoping like I, I don't know if we should review the album next week I guess we'll see what happens I'll talk to Craig about it but I'd be surprised if I'm won over she is of course doing the interview trail at the moment and Zara she has had some very forthright opinions this week what do you th- like, like why don't you tell us what she's been saying yeah so Lord um she had an interview with the New York Times uh Joe Pascarelli um and she dismissed a lot of the idea of Jack Antonoff's involvement in their collaboration you know is this a 50-50 thing does he kind of dominate obviously as well in the last couple of years we're all a bit blue in the face of an album coming out and hearing even before we are given the confirmation that it is a Jack Antonoff production. Um, she said that the idea of uh, that she is part of Jack's stable, which also would include people like Lana Del Rey, um, 
Claro, the recent Claro album, yeah. She said that this is a retro and sexist idea that he that she works with him as part of his stable. She then went on to say, I haven't made a Jack Antonoff record, I've made a Lord record, and he's helped make it and very much deferred to me on production and arrangement. Jack would agree to, with this. To give him that amount of credit is frankly insulting. And then she kind of goes on and she talks about you know, how they collaborate, he'll throw out ideas, she'll say, I like them, I don't like them. And then later on, she gives an analogy about how they record together. And she says that he's like, look at this serviette that I fashioned into the shape of two swans. Look at this set of woven baskets. And I'm like, great, one per room. Um, I found reading through this news story, I was just really bored by it. Um, <laughs> Lifford is not someone that I have a huge amount of time for. Um, I remember reviewing Melodrama on No Encore. Um, I can't even, to be honest, I can't even remember that album fully. Um, she just doesn't stick with me. I actually, before recording this episode, started to watch the Hot Ones episode with her on it. I find it so boring. Like, I had to turn it off. Um, haven't really liked any of her singles that have come out. And she also has said that, like, uh, the album Sonic Palette is influenced by 60s and 70s acts like the Moms and the Papas and the Bee Gees, as well as what Lord calls the turn of the century beachside optimism of S Club 7, All, All Saints, Natalie Brulia and Nelly Furtado. I haven't really heard any of that in anything. I didn't listen to actually Stoned at the Nail Salon because that title was just enough of a, a warning sign for me to stay away from it. Um, what did you make, David, actually, of her attempts to be normal and like you and I with her phone and her um, online intake? Oh, yeah, because she's trying to not use the Internet too much, which is probably healthy. And and look, to, to give her credit, I mean, she also references her own kind of stand base. And she's like, look, I'm not I can't be what you guys want me to be. It's so overblown. Obviously, I love my fans, but like I'm I'm just a fucking normal person. That's fair enough. And she is still quite young. And also, I think the uh, the main point she's making about the Jack Antonoff thing. And of course, Taylor Swift is another person Jack Antonoff has worked closely with. Um, I like it's the rare it's the rare moment where, I, where I'm in agreement with her. And I think even on the encore, like myself and Craig, probably more me, probably have been guilty of pushing the Jack Antonoff thing. I mean, as someone who like maybe has too much of an influence, we didn't like the Claro album and we kind of put a lot of the blame at his door. I do think, you know, he's a visible presence and he's become kind of a celebrity in his own right. And of course, like he is a musician. He has been in bands, you know, bleachers and fun and stuff. So he's not just some nobody off the street. I, like his presence just kind of, his production leanings aren't for me. Did he also work in the St. Vincent album possibly? Uh, um, and I didn't like that either. Um, but it's that thing of like, Look, ultimately, like, you know, Lord is the artist. I believe that this is her vision. She's one of those rare artists who seems to have enough power to do whatever the fuck she wants. So I have to assume Jack Antonoff being there is at her behest and not vice versa. So, yeah, I mean, like, I think Lord can make terrible music all by herself. So fair play to her. Um, like I say, I've, I've been avoiding the recent singles. I heard, like, obviously, like, there's a lot of primal scream in the first one. Like, it's weird because, like, like, her sonic palette description there sounds like something that both of us could take something from. Like, the 70s and the 60s stuff I know you're big into. Big style, yeah. 90s kind of Pure Shores-esque All Saints. Give it to me every day of the week. But I don't know. There's just something about Lord and the direction she's gone down. I will listen to the album because I do want to hear it, but it's there's just I like it's it's uh, she just bothers me. <laughs> um and maybe it's not her fault. Maybe it is the fucking the like the hardcore stands and what what Lord is supposed to mean to people, but 
Yeah, it's been a rocky start, but what, it has been a rocky start, though, even on the critical front. I've just noticed that, like, whether it's a Lord or even, like, I saw Lizzo this week, like, her single was getting kind of, like, criticized by places that would usually hail these artists to such a hyperbolic degree. Mm. I mean, maybe what goes up must come down. Uh, I'll be I'll be curious to see what happens in terms of the reaction to the new album. At the same time, I muted the word Lord on Twitter a long time ago, so I tend to not see a lot of this, which is pretty good. But, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, go on, go on. If you, uh, Curiosity, because I... Um, just listening to the show and talking to you, I know that you're always kind of one for the stereo gum premature evaluation review. Mm, mm, yeah. Um, I haven't really looked to see, but have they done one of uh, Solar Prairie yet? I don't know if they have. They, they did one on Deaf Heaven, who have an album out today as well, Infinite granite is that what it's called an album i've been waiting a long time to hear uh, and i should know as well for listeners you know like you know we're not necessarily a new music show but anyone coming to the show today wondering what's out there's at least four major albums out today uh, you got orla gartland villagers deaf heaven and lord so it's a pretty big release weekend which is great to see i don't know if stereogum have gotten there yet with the lord thing i will recommend stereogum as a website it's a great like the premature evaluations are excellent reads and the deaf heaven one got me very excited so that's the first album i'm gonna be listening to on friday for sure um we'll breeze past real quick just a very quick mention for Anderson Pack an artist who we quite like I think he's done something quite cool this week he gave himself well, he didn't give himself I assume he paid a professional <laughs> to give him a tattoo on his forearm that it basically says straight on that it looks great yeah. uh, the tattoo is script and it just says like if I die please don't release any posthumous albums this is like a basically like a will and testament to do it which I think is actually a very good statement and there's been a lot of criticism about posthumous albums it's something we might look at in depth on a later show perhaps but mm-hmm. people do object there is always the weird feeling of like isn't is this an artist's intention is this a fair thing to do is there a money thing here so I thought it was a great statement by an artist who I think is overdue a good album but also went through a run of releasing too many albums at once so but I like Anderson Pack a lot um, but we'll breeze past him real quick to get to another tattooed artist uh, who's announced a new album of his own it's Ed Sheeran. He's announced a brand new album. It's coming out on the 29th of October. It's called Equals. So he's paying off. Um, no, <laughs> no, not at all. Are you but more hyped for his project with uh, Cradle of Filth? That sounds like it would be quite up your alley, David. Because, well, see, you know, this is... Suffolk-based uh, Cradle of Death, if anyone is... Cradle of Death. There. Cradle of Death, is it, Sarah? <laughs> Excellent. I, I love how for a second there you tried to like you tried to muscle in there on my turf and you tried to and you tried to like make it look like you like like you're a big Cradle of Filth fan, but it blew up in your face, didn't it? That was pretty good. Oh cursed at sideways. I should say, uh, Ed Ed Sheeran has been doing the media rounds, uh, and he actually said a while ago that he's big into death metal, he loves slipknot and that kind of stuff, and he'd consider doing a metal song, and I was like, that'll never happen. But this week, Danny Filth, not his real name, the singer of Cradle of Filth, uh, did an interview and he said that like I think he saw that like when it happened he was like put your money where your mouth is mate that led to the pair emailing and Danny Filth has said that Ed Sheeran and Cradle of Filth are considering doing a song together Danny Filth says he's actually a really nice guy and if we do do it we should probably do it for charity once again like I said before nothing is going to happen here he's not actually going to do it but I want to ask you a question Zara I know you've nope. you've kind of already screwed the pooch on this one for me because I I, I have prepared pooch yeah, it's an expression. It's, um, an expression. it's an expression. Look it up. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard that before. Well, every every day is a school day. The thing is, and speaking of, have you ever listened to Cradle of Filth? I haven't, but I spent a bit of time on their Wikipedia page this afternoon, and um, I enjoyed it. I have to say, um, you enjoyed the Wikipedia page. I did. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, would you enjoy hearing Cradle of Filth for the very first time? Absolutely, yeah. Because I've prepared 30 seconds of Cradle of Filth for you. I think it's the first time I've ever played Cradle of Filth on this show. Let's hear it. That's uh, an amphetamine fix by Cradle of Filth from, I think, 2004, a song that I very much enjoy. I went through a very brief Cradle of Filth phase, but they're, they are kind of like, they don't get a lot of respect from the true metalheads. They're kind of seen as a bit of a joke, but I maintain they got a few good songs. What was so engaging about the Wikipedia page, and what did you think of that audio? Um, I was kind of shocked. I thought they were going to be a bit more intense. Uh, I thought that was kind of... As metal goes, I thought that that was kind of like lighthearted, bit hairspray. Um, you know, they're described as extreme metal. They're <laughs> described as I think it was like symphonic metal. Um, but one sentence that particularly grabbed me. Um, it's like the sec the start of the second paragraph. It said the band has broken free from all its original niche by courting mainstream publicity, which I just found was quite apt. Um, considering the news story that brought me to the Wikipedia page. Um, I had a really good time reading this uh, news story. I thought it was quite funny. Um, I thought it was a really weird flex though, and Danny Felt was like, "I believe when I see it." Um, just like, "All right, mate, chill out." Um, but then when he said the bit, if someone tells us not to do something, then we'll do it. And I underlined that and I have an arrow pointing up to a little free space. And it's just, I said, he wants money. Um, yeah, I just, I will not listen to this, Ed Sheeran. It, of course you won't. It's not going to happen. Like, it, like I can promise you it won't happen. Christmas number one. Uh, I will say, Savvy, on the behalf of Danny Filth, he's got his band back into the mainstream press, and we're a long way away from Cradle of Filth t-shirts with Jesus is a cunt written on them, which was all the rage back in 2001 or so. Uh, but we'll leave that world, and before we... Actually, well, we won't leave that world fully. Zara mentions Hairspray. We're talking about symphonic metal. I think we have to stop off at a certain spot before we close off the news section. Ah, yes, Kiss Corner. Uh, you talk about your Celine Dion's, you talk about your Britney Spears, your Adele's, your Las Vegas residencies. Well, listen, maybe they, they could all learn something from the, the gentleman behind the band Kiss, because they've announced their second Las Vegas residency, proof positive that they're still going. And here's Gene Simmons with a great quote to Rolling Stone this week when he said, there are matters of the heart, and then there are matters of the pocket. And it's nice when they both converge. So it's a very nice payday. The shows pay well, and that's reason enough. But it's also easier for the band, because you know the wear and tear of traveling and he said um you know the, the, the people were like but it's vegas like that's gonna be kind of scaled in and not as good as what we're used to right he said anything that's got a roof on it we have to scale back the pyro or we'll blow the roof off literally they said they're planning lots of surprises and also sorry i will say real quick gene simmons is actually like you know hardcore on the all our members of our crew have to be vaccinated and wear masks otherwise they can get to stepping i so, was yeah. kind of surprised that um he was like that because he's um not really the most upstanding person in a lot of his kind of stances on things. Um, David. Hello. I have, I know you love giving a quiz, but I have um, a bit of a quiz for you. Oh my God. For really? um, the Kiss Corner. 
Jeez, I'm on on the spot now. Uh, Like, lay it on me, please. I literally, I just have two questions. Okay. One, what is Gene Simmons's stage persona called? The Demon, the Kiss Demon. Very good. Yeah, I know my homework. Um, I know my stuff. Two, what year did Kiss feature on the cover of Rolling Stone for the very first time? Oh, that's a tough one. Um... How long is Rolling Stone going? I'm going to say 1982. Incorrect. 2014. What? Yeah. That is that is very lax editorial. 41 years uh, into their career, they were um, finally given the opportunity to be on the cover of Rolling Stone because the year before they were inducted into the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That is. They stumbled over it. No, it's okay. Like, like, don't worry about it. Like, like Kiss is serious business. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, like, it's yeah. They're kind of a figure of fun on the show. Like, do you have any kind of Kiss-related incidents of recent times that you want to talk about or anything, or, or, or are you just a Fairweather fan? Would you say? Um, I would be a Fairweather fan. Um, I wouldn't have too many kind of interactions with them. Do you, David? You kind of look a bit. No, no. I, I just recall we were out for a drink recently. <laughs> I wasn't sure. We won't we won't specify anything, but we were out for a drink recently, and uh, there was a, a member of staff at the bar wearing a Kiss T-shirt. <laughs> I, I, I was like, "You're joking! This is unbelievable!" And um, I definitely didn't ask the person. You did. You said nice T-shirt. Where did you get that? I didn't say nice T-shirt. I, I can't remember the exact dialogue, but you know. The, God, you're blushing. This is so funny. The important thing is, I was not flirting with the nice bar lady. She was a cool person wearing a cool T-shirt, and that's Kiss Corner. Yeah. Wow, Jesus Christ. I was, if I'm honest, guys, I was under pressure there. So we'll go to another form of that in the form of Pressure Machine, the new record from The Killers, which sounds a little bit like this. Somebody's been keeping secrets in this quiet town. They know how to live. Good people who lean on Jesus, they're quick to Man, just wailing on that harmonica, unreal. Uh, that's the killers. That song is called Quiet Town, and that's about as loud as it gets on the new record, Pressure Machine. We had a great conversation about the killers a year ago on No Encore with our good friend Carla Malaco, who came on the show, gave us a big overview of the career. We reviewed the album Then, which came out, which is imploding the mirage, I believe, just one year ago. Kind of rare for the killers to release so quickly. I have to imagine that this is what happens when a a very kind of you know, rambunctious showman like Brandon Flowers is grounded for the year and can't play gigs. Uh, he's gone all introspective. Zara Hederman, yep. in lieu of Craig being here, can you tell us a bit about the Killers and more specifically where they're at right now? I can, yeah. Um, so the Killers, as you kind of mentioned, front of Brandon Flowers, you said rambunctious, I would say unparalleled performer, especially within his generation of like indie rock contemporaries. Whenever I think of the Killers, the first image uh, specifically that comes to my mind is Brandon in a very slick suit dominating the stage in front of a crowd that is generally shouting for bottom words to songs like Mr. Brightside. Um, all these things that I've done, uh, somebody told me. They're now in their 20th year as a band. They formed in 2001. And really weirdly, uh, when you kind of read into the backstory of the band, 
Oasis are kind are part of their origin story. Uh, Brandon Flowers went to an Oasis show. I think it must have been in Vegas, and uh, he had a bit of a eureka moment where he's like, "I need to be in a band. I think I'm born to be a frontman." So he met up with Dave Koenig, who's a guitarist. Later on, they were joined by bassist Mark Stormer and drummer Ronnie Venucci. And um, they released their debut album Hot Fuss in 2004, which. The Killers had kind of that David Gray story where uh, America really didn't take them at all. Uh, earlier this week, I was reading the Pitchfork review of Hot Fuss and it was absolutely panned. They gave a 5.2 and it was a real case of the Killers finding a natural uh, embracing um, audience in the UK and Ireland. Hot Fuss. Uh, spent 173 weeks in total on the UK charts, more than any other album of that decade. I think we can all know, like, name at least three songs from that album, whether you're a passive fan or not. Um, I think to me personally, I remember being absolutely obsessed with the Killers. Um, and I think a huge part of the allure for the Killers, for me anyway, was because they were a Las Vegas based band. You know, a lot of the bands of the early noughties were either London-based, Manchester-based, Sheffield. Then you had like New York and maybe New York to a lesser degree. They're all very grayscale cities, um, which that seeps then into the architecture and the atmosphere of those cities, which seeps into the, the artistry of the bands. Whereas the Killers had this absolutely massive, bombastic showmanship about them. They really embraced the... um the uh, excess of Vegas, the lights, the kind of money style of things, the showmanship. It was all huge. And from the get-go, their sound was just very stadium filling. They then had Samstown, which was their follow-up, which began to show their Bruce Springsteen leanings. Again, I think that that album is just an absolute masterpiece. Sawdust followed, um, which had some covers. Um, Dave, you and I have talked a lot about their version of Shadow Play, how I would often say that I think that is actually much better than Joy Division's version. Um, and actually then from there, Sawdust is where I, and I would imagine a lot of people of our generation dropped off. I always remember hearing the single Human from Day and Age, which came in 2008, and they were far more bombastic, a lot more synth pop. And for a band that I became so obsessed with as a teenager, I would only know about 50% because I just lost interest so quickly. Um, they're back now with Pressure Machine. It's their seventh album. And here they're returning very much to the Bruce Springsteen thing, but they're going a lot more in Nebraska. They're doing a bit of a return to Samstown where they're looking at a specific part of America. In this case, it's Nephi in Utah, which is where Brandon Flowers spent a lot of his youth. And in very true Springsteen fashion, he is getting into extremely storied narratives of kind of down and out scenarios. There's um, drug addiction, there's murder, there's uh, deaths by trains, there's teen suicide. Um, there's a lot going on here. A lot of places that I've seen review this have lauded it as a great album. But David, what did you think? Did you feel that you got the full Nephi experience? Uh, well, never having been through America, any part of it really, including rural, small town, you know, formative 
things for someone like Brandon Flowers. I can't comment uh, too strongly on that, but I do think it captures a sense of place. I do think it captures it quite well. I mean, this is Brandon Flowers turned documentarian because this record has audio captures uh, from people, which, you know, is one of those things that can either derail an album or make an album, I think. And it can come across as kind of, you know, a gimmick. It can come across as maybe a bit crowbarred in. Um, there's a Bright Eyes album called The People's Key from like 2011, which is not one of their best records. And it was the last Bright Eyes album for, Jesus Christ, almost a decade. And I really liked it at the time when I was in college. Uh, I, I overrated it when I reviewed it. But like, you know, it has uh, lots of dialogue from uh, some guy Connor O'Burst was chatting to. I forget who he is. But like, I, I I like that stuff. I like hearing kind of rugged American voices pop up on a, a record like this. I mean, like this is an album where you're supposed to kind of taste the dust beneath your feet type thing. And I do think that the sincerity is present and they're, you know, like they're clearly real people, I think, and not actors as far as I'm aware. I don't think it's necessarily scripted dialogue. I think it was done with an interview thing and of course the journalist in me really likes that I, I think that's a really cool way to frame a record if the sincerity is there and if the authenticity is there and on that front I think it's a really really good approach especially for a band like The Killers who, I mean, you mentioned the Springsteen thing it's, it's unavoidable mm. this is so similar to Springsteen's recent records I think in particular um, and obviously a lot of them but certainly like that kind of elder statesman telling a story type thing Um <clears throat> I do think that that stuff can run the risk of being a bit one-dimensional um, in a way, and maybe that's unfair to knock it. Um, and this, of course, is also a record where, like, you know, we we have an entire song about runaway horses. <laughs> like, you know, it's kind of like, are, are we not done with that? I think Andrea Cleary, in her review in the Irish Times this week, even picked that exact thing out. She was like, surely, come on, like, we're, we're done with this, aren't we? But apparently we're not. That's also a track that boasts Zara Hedeman's favourite artist of the moment, Phoebe Bridgers, who kind of doesn't add a lot to it, but it's fine. Like, you know, she's the only featured artist on here, I believe. I think that the the, the real human beings on the street added a lot more character. Um, I really liked this album. Um, I don't think it's a classic or anything. And I think it's kind of, you know... It's 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 a weird one because like it's like fifty one minutes long, but I think it actually goes by at a clip, despite the fact that they're mostly all slow, long, kind of ponderous by purpose ballads. Um, it's one for completionists for sure, and it's funny because like you mentioned that kind of early killers, bombastic killers. And their album last year, I think, does have bombast. I know that we quite liked it on this show, and it was almost in contention for like album of the year. I think I think Craig picked My Own Soul's Warning as like one of his songs of the year, if not his number one. Um, I think it's kind of a smart move. Uh, I, I was curious to see what would happen because like they announced the album a bit a month ago, they didn't put out any singles, like none. They put out trailers and stuff, and they actually had like a video go up with like Brandon Flowers and Bruce Springsteen doing Dustland, and I guess that kind of set the yeah. tone. You'd almost expect him to be on here, but he isn't. Um, I feel like this is kind of more your style of music than me. You know, it's kind of like rootsy American, a bit of country, a bit of folk. I liked it, but I do think that it's kind of surface level. Um, and I got to think that only Die Hard Killers fans will appreciate it, but I think the Die Hard Killers fans will really appreciate it. What did you think? Yeah, I had my first listen to this album on Monday um, and I gave it uh, a listen when I was cycling, which I know is dangerous, um, but I live on the edge. Um and initially, I I actually really liked the first song. 
uh, West Hills. I, I thought it had some really cool, like, enveloping soundscapes. It also, like, at times reminded me weirdly of, say, the Goo Goo Dolls. It had that kind of OREM-esque mandolin scattered throughout it. And I thought that that was a really commanding intro. And it actually um spurred my interest in this album and that coupled with the intro with the interviews I was like okay this is interesting it's definitely very difficult or uh different to what they've done before and Brandon Flair has said that he was really inspired by this American life for having that kind of um cut paste journalism or like interviews in there um as the album progressed I lost interest a bit in it. I found some of the production just a little bit sterile, um, a little bit too um, withholding of itself. Um, like that with West Hills, it gets a bit bigger and it allows itself to gallop in a way that we're used to the killers galloping with their instrumentation. And then that very much the horse uh, to you continue with that analogy the horse just kind of goes back into its stable a bit um, and then you're just walking around surveying this very dusty very um, scarce location that you're brought to and I do feel that like Brandon Flowers as a songwriter I think there are times when I was like his songwriting is really good here actually and he had some turns of phrases that I really liked and then there would be songs, say, like Runaway Horses, actually. And the opening of that song really, really annoyed me because he's just kind of over gilding the um, the lily, as it were, with his lyricism. You know, he has like small town girl, Coca-Cola grain, honeysuckle skin, born beneath the ready sign of a strawberry moon. And it's like, that's just one too many, you know, superfluous adjectives um whereas if he just kind of reined it in it would have actually been a bit nicer um obviously it's really difficult to separate the Springsteen influence Nebraska is just so um such an anchoring force and you can really feel that on this album and I went back as well to Nebraska today and I'm not a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. I really like certain albums like Darkness on the Edge of Town. I think that's really cool. I really liked Western Stars that he had from two or three years ago. This just didn't really keep my attention. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't pushed on it. It felt like, to me, it's a kind of inconsequential Killers album. I won't go back to this. Whereas... I'm not even joking. I go to Sam's Town once a month. I swear to God, like I go there once a month and I absolutely adore it. And it has the same kind of impact. It takes me to that same place of when I heard it when I was like 14 for the first time. I did like when Brandon lets the arrangement get a bit looser. And actually one thing that I did find kind of interesting with this album was that they, so we worked with Jonathan Rado of Foxgen and Sean Everett, who's done stuff with The War on Drugs, which is an influence as well, you can hear on this album. I found it really interesting that Brandon was just like, he has a quote saying, you can get caught up in having money and having time in studios and laboring over something. Uh, we're definitely guilty of this. Uh, this is This album is different. Sean wasn't allowed to mix on the computer. So they used tape, um, which obviously limits the takes that they can have, the time that they can take on the song. And I thought that that was actually quite an interesting um, restriction that they put on themselves, maybe to work in a new way. But as a whole, 
it's not something that roused enough in me to be like I'm going to go back to terrible thing or I'm going to go back to uh, runaway horses or sleepwalker so yeah no I think that's fair I mean like it does sound a little bit like Brandon Thayer's is kind of trying on a Stetson and some cowboy boots for a weekend before he goes back to the big city or something um, and that's okay I mean I think you know it's a stopgap album at a stopgap time for a band that desperately thrive on a live audience a massive stadium and making those big booming anthems I am glad that they did this though rather than just another bog standard kind of uh, like cut and paste to use a phrase you used earlier on Killers album like at least it's trying something different it does come across more like a Brandon Flowers solo album at times than the Killers but like yeah they're a band in transition I mean like I think Mark Stormer has returned to them recently and stuff so they're probably just getting themselves back match fit so to speak um you know inconsequential inessential for sure um I do admire it though and I like the kind of the small town kind of lens particularly with the people involved their dark subject matter at times I agree with you he kind of stumbles a little bit like some of the melodies can be a little bit too kind of sunshiny for like the, the dark lyrics that are in there I think it takes a, a more skilled more experienced person of that persuasion to do it um but look it's it's an admirable thing to do um I think it's kind of like an like it's a nice thing for killers fans to have and I enjoyed it I don't think I'll go back to it much but I did enjoy it and I kept thinking it's the definition of a 7 out of 10 so I'm giving it 7 out of 10 um, I can't remember do you do halves? you can do a half if you want to. you can do whatever you want uh, I might give a 5.5 out of 10 all right, that's fair. I think um, I think I think Tapley on the show before, like anytime he's asked to review an album, he always gives no rating. So like, he's he, five, doesn't he? I I think he doesn't like the concept of rating albums, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. That's the Killers, Pressure Machine. Uh, I would recommend giving it a listen. Um, probably better than the Neil Lord album. Who knows? Anyway, that's the album review. And before we move on to the top five, a quick reminder, patreon.com slash noencore if you'd like to support the show. A fiver goes a long way. Thank you so much to everyone who does support the show. It means the world. And we will now proceed. It's top five time on No Encore once again, and it is top five songs about home in honor of Brandon Flower's trip down memory lane. Uh, it's not a very scientific top five, is it? It's top five songs about home. Zara Hedeman did challenge me, though, when I suggested it. She was like, uh, are we talking like songs about an actual physical home or the, what was it you said? The airy fairy uh, idea of like a person being home. And I said, we could go with that. It could be anything. So... Uh, in the end, Zara, what I will say at the very top of this is I have taken a very um, abstract approach this week in that... Say you have. I in that, only imagined I... Well, imagine no more because all five of my selections have the word home in the song title. Ooh! <laughs> it's pretty good. How was it for you? Um, I actually found this to be... Initially, I found it quite a difficult one to... As I was saying to you that day, I was like, what are the parameters for this? And uh, you very happily replied to me and said, well, what do you mean? I was like... I was like, you think you're talking to Craig over here? I was like, just, <laughs> just go for it, man. It's like, what's the concept? Um, and in the end, I decided to go for kind of bricks and mortar. But there is actually... Uh, actually, now that I think about it, there's actually not too many bricks and mortar. Well, let, let, let me ask you this question. Without revealing what it is, would you say that your number one is an upbeat song or a sad song? I'm trying to figure out how we should end this top five. It was joyous. Oh, joyous. Oh, it's glorious. Okay, well, in that case, I'll go first. 
because okay. my number one is, is a bit of a sad one. So we'll end on a positive note. So yeah. kicking off the top five songs about home. It's These Boys from My Homeland of Ireland. That is Delorento's, and that song is called Home Again. It is the opening track on their 2014 record, I believe, Night Becomes Light. And yeah, full disclosure, by the way, I happen to be good friends with Kieran McGuinness of Delorento's fame. And, you know, I just want to get that out there straight away. But also... <laughs> no, he did not. Uh, and I hope I hope it'll be a nice surprise when he hears the episode. But uh, I should note as well, the thing I always say about Delorento's is when I first heard of them in the late 2000s, I, I, I totally had the wrong idea of them. I dismissed them as like some kind of Coronas-esque, you know, featherlight indie band. Um, and when I finally got around to hearing them properly, when their third album, Little Sparks, was coming out, I actually interviewed them for Hot Press. And I was like, oh, fuck, no, shit, I'm wrong. They're actually really, really talented. They're really, really uh, delicate, dexterous songwriters. And Little Sparks, of course, would go on to win the Choice Prize. Craig was in the judging panel that time. You know, like, it's all a fix, isn't it? But I don't think we we didn't really know each other then, so it's fine. Um, And it was well-deserved. That's a great record. And they followed up with two other great records since Night Becomes Light and True Surrender. Um, The reason I picked this one is because I think Delorentos are extremely good at nailing down a very kind of lived-in feeling of of home, whether it is, you know, a small town, whether it's the nation of Ireland or, or even beyond. And they are a band that have kind of a, a very loyal cult following across the world, particularly in Europe as well. Uh, I think even like the aforementioned Kieran, like one of, the, one of my favourite Delorento songs is a song called Pederdu, which is a very personal song about his own upbringing. Um, maybe the most personal song you'll ever hear that ended up on a bank ad, you know, and it's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful song. Um, and they have so many of them in their locker, this being one of them. This is an amazing way to open a record, a record that closes with a song called Dublin Love Song, which is a song that deals with the difficulties of Dublin and the complexities of, you know, loving so much of it, but also being aware of how hard it is for an awful lot of people. Um, and I think Delorento's have, we, we talked about the word sincerity earlier on in the Killers review. I think Delorento's are one of the most sincere bands out there. I think it comes across in their music. It comes across in their live shows. Again, they're another band that are, I mean, every band, every artist is hurting right now by not being able to play gigs if you're in Ireland in particular. I think Delorento's are one of those bands for sure. They have a, they create a very communal experience and I think they're deeply underrated. I think they're a band that have been around for a while. A lot of people know them. I don't think enough people talk about them and it was an absolute pleasure to go back to this song this week because I think it's just full of so much hope and so much kind of, like I say, kind of lived in experience. They write about real people. They wear their hearts on their sleeves. I think they're terrific songwriters. And without fully knowing how to kind of distill it down into the perfect sentence, when I hear their music, it does make me feel, it makes me feel kind of a strange kind of emotion about where I'm from. And I don't really have that. I'm not really that kind of guy, whether it's the town I come from or the country I live in. But I think Delorento's managed to ground that kind of experience like few other bands in this country. So I think this is a beautiful song. I think they're a great band and it was straight into my number, my number five. Yeah, I echo quite a lot of what you've just said. Um, I always remember uh, growing up um, and when Delorento's came out initially and listening to Phantom FM pretty much like 
18 hours a day, like just obsessed with it and listening and hearing De Laurentiis songs, especially Secret. I absolutely adored that. Um, and at the same time, De Laurentiis would have been kind of touring and sharing a lot of bills with uh, the immediate. And I used to always try and beg my brother to let me in, like try and sneak me in um, to venues where De Laurentiis were playing because I was just like, I just want to see them live. They seem like they'd be so class live. I do think I saw them do like a few in-store gigs in like HMB or Tower Records or something like that um so I was always just like they're so cool and as you're saying they are a very underappreciated Irish act which makes no sense to me because they're so brilliant such sincere artists as well and I always remember Dave you asked me to do one of the um uh revisit episodes and Keir was obviously there and I was so strong, so starstruck. Like, I was just like, oh my God. And then we went for like a pint afterwards and I was just like having a kind of outer body experience. Like, he's the nicest guy of all time. And I've also sold, I think, row candles a few times in the shop that I work in. Also a lovely man. Um, so yeah, it's always great when your musical hero, Irish heroes are a nice man as well. No, yeah, they're really good guys. I should note, um, Keir will now, uh, once he hears this, I'm sure he, he's pre- he probably went from feeling like, and I, I hope he went from feeling nice, a nice sense of pride there to being like, for fuck's sake, Dave, we never finished the revisit and I'm really sorry. And I know that there are listeners who are like, why did you never finish it? It just became one of those things. It was, it, it, it was the difficult multi-album. Maybe, but I don't want to promise anything. I, I think too much time has passed. It was a cool project. I love doing it with Kier. He's a great guy. Check out his Radio Nova show every Sunday. What do you got number five, Zara? Okay, so you've taken us to the streets of Ireland and Dublin. Um, David, hop on board, Pan Air, Neil Young. Oh my God. <laughs> what a link. Every time I think about back home, it's cool and breezy. I wish that I could be there right now, just passing time. Everybody seems to wonder what it's like down here. I gotta get away from this day to day running around. Everybody knows this is nowhere. Everybody knows. So. I should say, before we started recording, Sonic Architect Adam was like, oh, Azara, he was like, I cannot wait for your top five and how you're going to like intro every song because you've got a bit of a history of... Um, uh, Thank you so much. That was wonderful. You nailed it. Uh, so this, this is this is Neil Young. What song is this? Um, this is a song called Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere. Um, it's from his second studio album of the same name. Um, came out in 1969. Um so Neil Young, I think, is an absolute legend. I went through actually my previous emails to Adam to make sure that I had not included a Neil Young song in a previous top five because I didn't want to try and repeat myself. This song is, as you can hear, it's all about him, you know, wishing to be back home where it's cool and breezy. Um, it's a song that looks at already, he's only in kind of album two of his solo career, but previously he'd been in like Buffalo Springfield. Um, and he's talking about, you know, how he hates the LA scene. He hates the entertainment industry. Um, and this becomes quite a recurring theme across his music, even up to like kind of more recent releases. Um, there's a really cool uh, quote um, 
as Jimmy McDonough wrote in Shark, uh, Shaky, not Sharky, uh, in Shaky, which says, everybody seems to wonder what it's like down here, young muses. His caustic tone making it clear that for him, the entire Los Angeles scene might as well fall into the sea, um, which I just thought was quite funny. Um, yeah, I just think Neil Young is a sublime songwriter. I think he's an amazing performer and musician. This song is one that I constantly have stuck in my head, as you saw there when that uh, song was playing, and I yelped straight into the refrain. Um, David, are you in any way familiar? Do you like Neil Young? Do you listen to him? Because if you don't, I would highly, highly recommend that second album in particular, because he wrote Cinnamon Girl, Down by the River, um, which is two of the kind of mainstays, which still do crop up in his life. That He wrote them on the same day when he had a fever of 39 and a half degrees. So this is the part of the show where Zara gives me grief for mostly listening to music made in the last 31 years. Really? Uh, it, was impl- it, was, it, was, it was implied. I, I, I know you too well, Zara, at this stage. Good question. Uh, I have heard some Neil Young in my time, uh, after the old rush, of course, being an absolute classic. But I can't say that he's an artist I necessarily cling to. Uh, I do find it hard to get past the voice sometimes, not going to lie, which is strange because I'm into Billy Corgan and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, um, yeah, like, uh, you know me, I, I have some weird kind of aversion to getting fully into this kind of music, even though I completely respect it and have nothing against it whatsoever. I think it's just some of the great troubadours of our time. I tend to just, you know, I hitch a lift with them. They let me out at the next stop. I don't go home with them to tie it into this team. But yeah, uh, Neil Young is clearly, uh, as you say, a legend. But I, 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 I'm looking at my vinyl collection right now and there's not a single a single Neil Young one in there. Maybe I need to change that. Yeah, we will change that. I could make you a Neil Young playlist. This is going to be like the time when Carlo made me a Nick Cave playlist and somebody recently made me a Leonard Cohen playlist. And, you know, I'll have it. I'll never click into it. But why not? Go for it. I'll do heavy Neil Young for you. Okay, that sounds good. I'll do Neil Young as though he was like Death Heaven or something like that. Perfect. I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure the songs are out there. Uh, I promised you, Zara, before we recorded this show. I promised you a couple of eyebrow-raising gems in my top five, and <laughs> number four for me. It's the best police ripoff song in the business. It's Maroon 5 and Won't Go Home Without You. Now, despite Adam Levine's insistence there, it's a bit, you know, I won't go home without you. Yes. Um, I don't know if I'll make it through the night again. It's like, uh, don't, don't be at that, mate. Um, and, you know, he's got form for this. You know, she will be loved. You know, it's very much just like, you know, he's like, I, I will not take no for an answer. So, you know, we don't condone aggressive romance in, uh, on this show. But I, I got to say, Zara, I've always unironically loved this song. I've always enjoyed it. I think... <laughs> I think Maroon 5 have a handful of great songs. Craig and I are both united on this. We're both united that Moves Like Jagger is one of the great songs of the last 10 years, by the way. And I say that, I'm serious. I, no, no, I'm serious. I, oh, yeah. It's it's astonishing. I don't know why people have such a beef with it. It's absolutely amazing. We adore it. It was a hot press office favourite. And yeah, if Craig was here right now, I hope Craig is listening right now and I hope he's like pumping the air. Whistling to himself. 
Hundred um, percent. But we're here to talk about this one, this song from two thousand and seven. Um, Maroon Five. I mean, look, we give them an awful kicking on this show a lot of the time. I think most music critics do. I'm not here to make a grand revisionist history case for them. As far as I'm aware, do they have an album out even this year? And everyone was like, yeah. everyone was like, this is just content. This is not music. And they clearly are responsible for a lot of harm to the music industry. But I. <laughs> I just uh, Adam played it again there because I guess we needed to hear it. Um, I just adore it. I, I, I like I I, I genuinely <laughs> leave it in the edit, man. <laughs> I absolutely love this song. It's so over the top. It's Dave Hanready walking home sad on a night out. You know, Dave. come on. It's I I, I love it. You, you get a big smile on your face when it kicked in. Don't say you don't love it too. I, I will say actually when it did kick in, that first kind of chord change to the minor is so nice it is very very nice i do like that a lot um a song i'd completely forgotten about so i am in a in a way david thank you you're very welcome thank you we, we, we can move and now i can imagine myself listening to that walking to the bus or with my yeah. bike for a little bit yeah um, it's great i'll think of you every time now Thanks. That was the end goal here, I suppose. We'll move swiftly on. Great song, though. And Moves Like Jagger. Fucking rules, guys. Payphone. That's another good one. That's their three good songs. All right. So that song was called I Won't Go Home Without You. Won't Go Home Without You. Okay. Yes. So for my number four, it's the... I won't go home without you. It's kind of the opposite of it, but not really. No, it is the opposite. Okay. No, it's the antithesis of what the person that Adam Levine is singing. The per- oh Jesus! Is this another quiz? Are, are there going to be? Is this an exam? I no. think I'm just going to play the song. <laughs> Adam is just stepping in. <laughs> All right, there's Zara. No, uh, I'm really not. Um, that, of course, was Yellow Tango. Uh, the gorgeous, gorgeous vocals from Georgia Hubley, um, who is the percussionist and vocalist of Yellow Tango. Um, that song's called, as I was trying to say there, I feel like going home. Um, the opposite to how the person that Adam Levine was singing to felt. They wanted to go home. Um, Yellow Tango. A band I absolutely love. Um, this was one of the songs that came to me immediately. Um, I was like, okay, songs at home. I'll go for this one. Um, I just love how varied they serve up their instrumentation and, and songs. You never really know what you're going to get. And I also just love their, um, their, their way of naming songs and albums. This is from an album called... I am not afraid of you and I will beat your ass, um, which is their 11th album from 2006, uh, 20 years into them being a band. And I just thought uh, this song is such a beautiful song. It's, you know, just purely a ballad of strings and piano and George's really gorgeous uh, vocals, which I find so fascinating and intriguing and captivating to listen to because 
simultaneously she has so much weight in her vocals and what she's saying and yet her her timbre just floats atop the um the instrumentation i just love it um because she really really grabs all of your attention and i think the lyrics from that particular section of the song uh sometimes late at night while running from the rain running from the voices filling up my brain now i wish they'd leave me alone and let me be to go off on my own I think we've all had uh, moments like that where we kind of psych ourselves out a lot. I love to walk um, just like through town and um, walking home. I love walking home at night in particular because there's just such a solitude to it. You feel like you can be the only one on the streets, but you still have to have your wits about you, of course. Um, and this song just really perfectly encapsulates that feeling for me of walking home and getting to a kind of using home as a place of safety and security and that can be a physical place or it could be a kind of chamber within your own brain so yeah that's my number four no i love that i love the like the walking home thing and yes as you say you know stay safe out there everybody but i i i, I do love walking home late at night <laughs> a few drinks in the system perhaps and your best songs playing uh, my number three is not a song I usually play, uh, but back in our recent Songs About Driving episode, which of course proved to be a very controversial one, we got a lot of like lads, this was an absolute train wreck of a top five, even though I think it's one of our better ones. Um, I picked a band in that top five that, again, it's like I wouldn't ordinarily plump for. I didn't think I'd do it again, but I had to do it. And here they are once more in my top five. Just want to say I'm not a fan of this band. I think they're horrible, but here it is. That's Motley Crue and the song, <laughs> the song's called Home Sweet Home from the album, from, from the album Theatre of Pain, I believe. Uh, Jesus, that's not somewhere I'd want to go. No, definitely not. Not with them. <laughs> Dirtbags. Uh, Zara Hedman, have you seen the film Hot Tub Time Machine? No, but I do know that Adam Scott is in it. No, he's in the sequel, which I'll never watch. Yeah, John Cusack is in the first one. But like, oh. so I, again, Craig isn't here this week. So, I, you know, I want to I want to represent my buddy. Uh, and we, we, I think we mentioned this song when I picked Motley Crue last time and I, I mentioned the song Home Sweet Home and Craig was like, is that not by Poison? And he convinced me that it was, but it turns out it's not Poison. It is Motley Crue. This is a ridiculous hair metal anthem and the film Hot Tub Time Machine, which is a film that ordinarily, I, 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 like, like even the title, you run a mile from it. But I remember very specifically oh back in the hot press days, I think it was towards the end of my run um, and I was certainly at the end of my rope and basically I was like fuck this I'm in a bad mood whatever was going on at the time and I remember going home and before I left the office Craig was like man when you get home you should stick on Hot Tub Time Machine it's really funny and I was like Craig that sounds like an absolutely ridiculous film there's no way it's funny and Craig was like and I'll never forget this he said Dave it's glorious knowing trash it's great and I got home that night and I was like head up and I was depressed and I was sad and whatever. I can't even remember the specifics of it, but like I was in a very bad place. And I was like, all right, fine, Craig, fine. Fuck you. I'll throw it on. 
And I threw on Hot Tub Time Machine and it was genuinely very, very funny and I had a great time and it took my mind off things. And as a matter of fact, there's a scene early in the film when the character is being introduced and Rob Corddry's character is like driving home and he's driving home drunk. Never do that, by the way, listener. Bad thing to do. But he's in, a, he's in a bad way himself and he like pulls into his garage, right? And he's like depressed. And then this comes on and it has like those like horrible opening kind of piano chords. And he's like, oh, fucking unbelievable. I love this song. And it comes on and he starts air drumming to this song as it happens. And it, what happens is through a weird chain of events, he accidentally almost kills himself and like is rushed to hospital. It's it sounds dark as hell. It is a dark joke, but honestly, I threw that scene on this week. I've, I've been having a I've been having a difficult week. Genuinely, I've had a really bad few days, and I threw the scene on. I think it was yesterday on YouTube, and I just sat there and I laughed and I laughed, and it was so funny, and it just made me feel. It, it gave me that kind of escapism. So yeah, it's a ridiculous, stupid song by a ridiculous, stupid band. But it reminded me of, you know, a really nice moment at a time when a friend of mine kind of intervened in the most ridiculous way possible by saying, watch the film Hot Tub Time Machine. Which again, I mean, I'm not saying it's a stone cold classic, but I did enjoy it. And this song, I can't deny it. It's a (laughs) bit of a belter. (laughs) I can't quit you. Um, I don't think I've ever listened to Motley Crue. Um, when that song actually started to play, I gave you a look of, David, what is this? Pure confusion. But I got swept up. I will admit, I did get swept up. Um, will it inspire me to go listen to Motley Crue? No. Who can tell? Inspire me to watch Hot Tub Time Machine every day of the week. Oh, great. Excellent. Well, just watch it once, not every day of the week. Well, no, yeah. Um, okay, so David, uh, my take it away. Oh. It's link time. It's too much pressure. He's gonna do it. Um, my number three. What is your favorite part of a house? My office, or like a house in general. Yeah. Like, uh, if you were to build yourself a house, what would you want? Uh, Jesus Christ! Um, a front door, a kitchen. What about a courtyard? No. Oh. Oh, then maybe don't play. Play number three, Adam. Play number three, Adam. Yes, he built me a courtyard Like he promised he would And I know that he'd come to Uh, that was Bobby Gentry and Courtyard from her second album, which is entitled The Delta Suite from 1968. Uh, Bobby Gentry is someone that I got into in a big way about three months ago. I was listening to a podcast called Cocaine and Rhinestones, which is all about the country music scene and looks at specific figures like the Lubin Brothers. Um, Bobby Gentry and all sorts of people probably a George Jones episode in there as well Um, and that episode was really interesting Bobby Gentry if you don't know a lot about her um, she was one of the first kind of singer-songwriters who composed and produced her own material and she would have been recording around the same time as Dolly Parton 
Um, but she was someone who didn't necessarily want to be a singer. Um, she kind of fell into it by accident. She has a song which she's most famous for called Ode to Billy Joe, um, which is an incredible like Southern Gothic um, song. That was another actually kind of contender. I did consider that for a song about home because it has a very um, detailed domestic uh, setting has like the dinner table and loads of food so that would have been one but I just thought Courtyard was a far more evocative one it's also a far more straightforward emotional one I think the arrangement is absolutely beautiful as well and um, she actually retired when she was only 36 in 1978 she kind of she went down the uh, Las Vegas residency kind of route she lost interest then in performing I think she had a pretty sour experience with the music industry, which not really too surprising because with this album in particular, the Delta Suite, she played the majority of the instruments. She pretty much produced the album herself and still um, someone else was given the uh, production credits. I'm trying to remember his name. Kelly Gordon, perhaps, I think it is. I just think this song is stunning. Um, just the tone of her voice, the sort of longing and wistfulness, all of these kind of, for me, the song with representing it with home is like the, the false projection that you put on of like someone promising you to build a house for you in the hopes that that will turn into a loving home and that just doesn't happen and you're left, left with a kind of illusion. You're left quite lonely and... Um, still longing for something and I think her cadence just does that so well I also kind of think listening to that song in particular you can hear maybe how like the last shadow puppets were very influenced by the string arrangements or maybe even James Ford who produced their stuff um it reminds me a lot of say like stuff from their first album but yeah I just think this is a beautiful song and I could not have it on the list nice nicely done sweeping and beautiful all good um this is the part now where <laughs> i messaged zara today and i was like trying to figure out what was on her list because i was uh, I, I really wanted to get a song in here that i didn't pick and i was like what if zara has picked this song i did pick I'm trying to do some 40 chess but the rules are the rules zara wouldn't tell me adam wouldn't tell me either so you know back in my box i go i will say well, I, I didn't necessarily ask Adam. I was just trying to, you know, I was just broaching the subject, but you know, in a very professional way. And I was, and, and I uh, was met with a professional response. So here's the thing, right? I will say Drake's "Hold On, We're Going Home" did not make it into my top five. It was this close. Instead, I've gone with a song that I thought you might pick. It's a bit of a classic. Here it is. Growing like a breeze, country roads take me home to the place I belong, West Virginia, Mountain Mama, take me home, country roads. It's John Denver there, big John Denver, and the song 
Take Me Home Country Roads. Uh, had to do it. It's classic. Uh, it makes me long. It makes me like, like, I felt like, you know, especially with the Killers review and stuff, you know, I was like, here's how it's done, Brandon. Sit back and watch. Um, again, you can, you can see, you can see the country roads, Zara. You can taste, you can taste the ground. And this is a, like, like, this is a song that I think has had an incredibly enduring appeal. It had a very weird kind of pop culture re-emergence there a few years ago like it was in the film Logan Lucky it was in Alien Covenant I think it was in like the marketing material for like Fallout 76 that disastrous video game so yeah it's never too far away from you know whether it's a old dusty radio or the magic of the movies uh, I think the song has endured incredibly well I think it's beautiful I think it's straightforward and simple and great and in the battle between John Denver and Drake I could only give it to Big John but I'm really glad, David, that you um, saw the light and you included um, that song. Such a beautiful song. John Denver's vocals are absolutely stunning. Um, I won't say anything about my top five because we're, we're not through. We're not through the fog. Um, but I will say, great song. Great well, well, let's get through the fog because I did think you'd pick it, but I don't think you have now. What have you got lined up next? Um... David, that's, that's me. <laughs> who is your favorite Beatle? A favorite question of mine that I like to ask people. Uh, is is this an excuse for you to to fucking venerate George Harrison again? Um, I guess I guess Ringo Starr because he voiced Thomas the Tank Engine. What about Paul McCartney, the writer of Maxwell's Silver Hammer? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, you've hit me with a real good one there, but no, it wouldn't be him. I, I, he's a figure of fun, though. We enjoy his his contributions to society, particularly when they involve his son. He is a fi- oh god stop, um, Jamesy Rocket Man. He might have written Maxwell's Silver Hammer, but he also wrote this beautiful song, which is all about home. Every morning brings a new day, and every night that day is through. But tonight I just wanna stay in. Record, which is called McCartney, it came in 1970, a year in which all of the members of the Beatles released a solo album. Ringo, your favourite, David. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Two solo albums that year. That's because um, he's the best. Well, this is it. Um, he just never took his finger off the pulse and foot off the kick drum. Um, this song is, I think, one of my favourite McCartney songs ever written across all of his projects and I think it's absolutely beautiful I think it is one of the most masterfully written pop songs that hook is just so infectious and completely uh takes hold of me every time I hear it I remember that three years ago I was doing my food shop and I was looking for this song I was like couldn't remember what it's called I was like what is that song I really want to listen to it I listened to it for the entire food shop I love it so much um, it was born from a time when George, uh, Paul, excuse me, I'm just always thinking of George, um, when Paul was going through a particularly difficult time, the Beatles were breaking up, uh, John Lennon had privately departed, Paul was very depressed and very confused by it all, and he was, I guess, going out a lot. He was married to Linda 
hiring me at the time as well. The lovely Linda. And um, he was just not having a good time. And Linda encouraged him to get back into songwriting, to go to the studio. McCartney, obviously, famously, he plays every single instrument on that. Um, with some with contributions from Linda, of course. And she was like, you need to get back on, write your songs. And he wrote every night as a kind of ode to Linda. And it's just a really lovely song. And it's one that I, you know, I think a lot of us can kind of relate to during the pandemic. He talked about wanting the very first line of the song is every night I want to go out, get out of my head. I think we've all had those kind of like thoughts where you just want to go in the sauce. Um, and then he, you know, goes through the song and he finds contentment and he decides that he just wants to stay at home and have a nice time um, with Linda and his domestic setup he's very happy with. So I just think it's beautiful. I think it's top five Paul McCartney, which I'm excited for you and Craig to do some in a future episode. <laughs> You're excited for that one because you know I'll take that episode off and that will get you <laughs> back into the top five, which could happen. Thank you. Maybe there'll be a reason to do it. Uh, I wouldn't be too confident. Uh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to like usher usher that in. You know, he seems like a healthy guy. Good for him. And yeah, Maxwell Silverhammer five times, obviously. Um, so I said at the start of the top five that I had a melancholic number one. Uh, it's interesting because like um, people who listen to No Ox Chord, which you can do. It's our monthly recommends corner, patreon.com slash No to get those episodes. I'm. I'm slagged routinely now on a monthly basis for including at least one song from a film. So here's a song from a film. So that's from a film and from a stage play. That's from the Rocky Horror Show, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's Tim Curry as Dr. Frankenfurter. And the song is I'm Going Home. It's one of the closing numbers in a film that is absolutely jam-packed with incredible songs, wonderful songwriting. I believe Richard O'Brien of the Crystal Maze fame was behind the majority of them. Uh, we've actually done an episode on, on No Popcorn, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Did it a couple of years ago, I think, at this stage. It's a film I absolutely love. I saw it when I was way too fucking young. <laughs> I just didn't know what, what, what I was seeing on screen. Um, it's a cult classic. It's one of the cult classics, you know, it was kind of critically reviled, but it became a midnight movie. It has an incredibly loyal audience that have followed it all over the, all over the world for many decades. And it's a, it's a crazy sci-fi horror, ridiculous film, but I think it has incredible lasting appeal. And part of that is the music. I just wanted to single out Tim Curry, really, I think. I don't think, you know, like we so rarely get the chance to talk about him on this show because he's an actor uh, predominantly and uh, just electrifying, incredible. Uh, have you never seen this film? Surely you have. Oh, I've never seen some. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. I wanted to watch it. And I do suggest it actually regularly enough, actually, to talk to him. I'm like, can we watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show? And he's just like... I would love to watch it and it is a great film but it is a film that you have to watch maybe having a few cans and maybe being with a group of people it's kind of better experience that way 
Yeah, I mean, like that, he's not wrong, but I do think you can you can definitely check it out on your own. But no, like like, but like, yeah, sort that out. We're all vaccinated now. Get a few people over, but do it safely. Keep social distancing in case, just in case. Um, Rock Harpic show is great. Tim Curry is wonderful, and and this song I think is just a it's just a really beautiful melancholic thing, and it, it bookends the film incredibly well. Um, yeah, it was just like it was one of the first ones I thought of, and I was like, it's a it's a bit of a left field pick, it's a bit of a sad number, but it encapsulates what it means to want to go home, especially if you're that character. I don't want to spoil the movie for you. Okay, is Tim Curry still with us? He is still with us. Yeah, he's had health issues though in recent years for sure. Um, there was like a Rocky Horror reunion thing a while ago, and he was kind of pictured at it. So like he's, you know, yeah, he's 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 alive. Um, I think he has retired as an actor, but iconic for sure. A word that gets thrown around all the time, whether it's whether it's Rocky Horror, whether it's the It miniseries, his 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 Pennywise turn, of course, and what? so many other. Yeah, he's Pennywise in the TV show It, like from the nineties. No idea. You have so much to catch up on, Zara. So much so to catch much up to on. So much to learn. Um, David. Hello. <laughs> um, how is your knowledge of Greek philosophy? Uh, not not too bad, but it has been some time. I, I I did classical studies in the school, and of course, we spoke on the show just a week ago about Frank Ocean's uh, rather shameful faux pas when it comes to such matters. But we love Frank Ocean, so we forgive him. It's all good. Uh, at the same time, it has been some time. I used to adore this kind of stuff. You'll probably trip me up here, but go on, I'm game. Um, actually, I had completely forgotten about the Frank Ocean uh, news story from last week. So this actually ties in kind of nicely with my number one. Um, I guess you and I and the listeners will know that you can't spell Homer without home. Home is 95% is the word Homer. Um, and Homer wrote a book, um, The Odyssey which is obviously about um, a figure who is trying to get home, takes years to get home. That can be quite a difficult journey, can be quite a daunting task. Um, And one thing about the Odyssey that I always think about when I think about the Odyssey and I think of Homer in a kind of abstract way is this song, Adam, take it away. Instrumental by Angelo Badalamenti. Um, and now, David, I know that you recalled at the very top of this top five that I was getting kind of sassy about what is the concept of home? Are we talking about four, four walls and a ceiling? Are we talking about an abstract thing? And as I decided that this had to be my number one, I did realize that this was a kind of abstract number one for a song about home. Um, but a song about home, nonetheless, because it soundtracks a TV series that in many different kind of facets is about home. It's about following Agent Dale Cooper, who we never really see to have a home. He finds a new home. I'm not going to give any spoilers as well, so don't worry. I will limit what I say about Twin Peaks um, and talk kind of uh, vaguely around this parameter 
we're in a small town. We get the insights into many different homes. And we also, as I was mentioning there, um, of the Odyssey, Odysseus obviously uh, has to go on a big journey and on Reddit, uh, a thread and a form that we um, were talking about earlier. There's some interesting theories that are positive there. And one is about the kind of the parallels between Homer's story and Dale Cooper's story throughout that series. Um, it's one of the most beautiful songs, I think, of all time. Uh, I recently did a rewatch of the three seasons and I think after I finished it, texted you on my way into work and was just like, Jesus Christ, like that theme song is just ugh, unparalleled. It's so emotive um, as an instrumental. It does exactly what it needs to do. Um, David Lynch actually had like chosen it as the uh, theme song and played the place card for Angelo and was just like, you captured Twin Peaks. And uh, Angela was just really taken by that because he had actually composed that and written it before any of Twin Peaks was shot. So when I think of home now, I think of that particular song. Wow. I, I lost my mind when you played it. I freaked <laughs> out like off mic. I was just like, I couldn't find the words. I was like, This might be the most elite number one we've ever had on the show. Uh, I can't see you through the tears, Zara. Uh, and Angela Badalamenti, by the way, there's an amazing video online. We won't play it on the show because well, there's a long enough episode as it is, but like there's an outstanding thing of him going through mm. working on the music of Twin Peaks and just like reacting in real time to the music. And the music is, is so important to that show. It's an incredible show. Um, anyone who's watching it for the first time like Jesus like I envy you so much and I I must do a revisit soon particularly of the third season uh yeah I'm I'm, I'm spellbound I'm like by by, by this selection as spellbound yeah, as spellbinding as the music itself is it's it's just perfect just incredible and it's weird because obviously like you know Twin Peaks is a very dark show uh where lots of sinister horrible things happen but I understand what you're saying that like this makes you feel at home and like there's a warmth to it as well yeah I think only truly great art can can have that level of kind of complexity and duality and all those things. And Jesus, I thought I was being fucking clever with my Motley Crue and Maroon Five selections, but uh, Zara, I think I, I think I have to give it to you. Well, it, it's never it's never a competition, but I think you won this top five. So, and you won the hearts of many a listener as well. She is Zara Hedeman, and I thank her so much for joining me on this episode of the show. You'll be back soon, I hope. And in the meantime, you can be followed on Twitter, Instagram. You're doing all kinds of things at all times. And thank you very much for gracing us with your presence. You. Craig is back next week. Uh, someone who is not back next week, though. Someone who's taken a couple weeks off because he's very busy himself and he also needs some well-earned time off is... I mean, I, I use the word spellbinding, but like there are no words to describe the magic, the beauty, the wonder that is. Sonic architect Adam Shanahan... <laughs> Should note, uh, real quick, because we mentioned this on the Oxcord as well, that Bobby Arlo track, Fever Thoughts, which we were kind of talking about on the Oxcord recently, is out now. Adam's Midas Touch all over it. It's a great song. Go check it out. And thank you, listener, for listening to this show. I hope it made you feel more at home yourself. It's patreon.com slash if you want to help support what we do. We're back next week. I'm presuming it won't be reviewing a Kanye West album, but you just never, ever know. Donda, baby. It's happening. My name is Dave Hanready. This has been the Oncore. They've been the Oncore. Bye-bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.